If you have your Bible, I'd like to ask you to turn to 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll be looking at a message entitled, When Brokenness Becomes a Blessing. I was reading this week about a couple who ran into probably one of the greatest challenges that any could. Their names was Melody and Rob Dillard. And they were surprised when they became pregnant not long after their wedding day. But their joy soon turned to panic when Melody's water broke just 24 weeks into the pregnancy. And doctors, they tried frantically to stop her labor, but they couldn't. And Melody gave birth to a one-pound, nine-ounce baby girl. They named her Layton. She was frail, and she soon developed an infection in her body that her tiny frame just couldn't fight off. And baby Layton died 19 days later in the NICU. Of course, the Dillards were devastated, especially Melody, who entered a dark, deep pit of depression. She became obsessed with having another child. But the doctor told her that it wouldn't happen because she was in such a deep depression that her body was not ovulating. So for years, this woman tried everything known to medical science to try to conceive again, but it was fruitless. She said in her testimony, she said, I cried out to God, why not us? We've wanted a child so bad, Lord. And then she said, but after months of trying to have it my way, I surrendered my future to the Lord, and I decided to trust the Lord even when my circumstances told me not to. Now there's more to this story, and we're going to hear about it later on, but when I read it, I was reminded how often life can play a trick on us where we get our hopes sky high and then those hopes and dreams are smashed to smithereens. Somebody has said that there are a few things more tragic than the death of a child. It's like putting a period before the sentence is even finished. There's a story about the famous writer Ernest Hemingway he once accepted a bet that he couldn't write a story in ten words or less. Not to be outdone, he took up that bet and he produced a following six-word narrative that was featured in a classified ad, For Sale, Baby Shoes Never Worn. Now, if there's a Bible character who could identify with that kind of pain, dashed hopes and disappointment, it's the Shunammite woman that we read about that Elijah encountered in 2 Kings 4. This chapter and uh, part of chapter 8 is a roller coaster ride of emotions and spiritual ups and downs. And a lot like the Dillards, this Shunammite woman struggled through infertility and through the death of a child. And even though she could not see it at the time, I believe that she is a great example today of how God can turn your brokenness into blessing. Now, a lot of you are going to identify with her story as we read about her today. And as we study the Shunammite woman, I want you to notice how God builds our faith in adversity. All different sets of adversity and trial and heartache. So there's three lessons and three scenes from the life of this woman. Number one, I want you to see today 
an example of faith in God when our desires are unfulfilled. Now, the Bible doesn't give the exact name of this woman we're going to read about, but we can learn a lot about her character. The first thing that we can see about her is she's a woman of great hospitality. Read with me in verse 8. One day, Elisha went on to Shunem, where a wealthy woman lived who urged him to eat some food. And so whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. But she said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls and put there for him a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp so that whenever he comes to us, he can go in there. Now this dear lady was committed to serving God by serving the man of God. And Elisha is something of a rolling stone at this point in his ministry. He's like Jesus. He had no place to lay his head. And this lady, the Shunammite woman, saw a way that she could minister to God's prophet by preparing for him an apartment on the roof of their house. And so with her wealth and a little bit of gentle persuasion toward her husband, here she creates this refuge where the man of God could come in, rest, and enjoy a nice meal. So we know that she is a woman of great hospitality. She's also a woman of great humility. Because verse 11 says this, One day she came there, and he turned into the chamber and rested there. And he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. And he said to him, Say now to her, See, you have taken all this trouble for us. What is it that can be done for you? Would you have spoken a word on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? She answered, I dwell among my people. So after all of her generosity, Elisha wants to know from her, what can I do for you? How can I show you my gratitude and my appreciation? And you see here that when Elisha's servant asks what can be done, she simply says, I'm content. In other words, I'm satisfied, I'm secure, I'm living with my family. Now think of this. Here's a woman who has been given a blank check from the prophet. She could have asked for any kind of a blessing or miracle, and yet she defers because she's humble. Somebody has said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. A woman of great humility and a woman of great hospitality, but then here's something else we see, a woman of great hope. Notice what verse 14 says. And he said, what then is to be done for her? Gehazi answered, well, she has no son and her husband is old. There it is. And he said, call to her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway and he said, at this season, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O oh man of God, do not lie to your servant. Here is this lady who's had one hope her whole life, and that is to be a mother. But for whatever reason, whether it be infertility, or we know the text tells us that her husband was old, here this lady has remained barren. 
Like Abraham and Sarah, if God was going to give her a child, she would need a miracle. And you kind of get a window into the years of pain created by this unfulfilled longing in her soul when she responds to the man of God saying, Man of God, do not lie to your servant. In other words, Elisha, don't you play games with me. I've been down this road before. I've cried myself to sleep many times hoping for a child. Elijah, don't you get my hopes raised up only to have them dashed once again. And I think that this woman did something that we all do when our dreams are crushed by the disappointment of life. Somewhere deep in the heart of this lady, she had buried that under layer after layer of hurt. And really, you... you Mothers and, and, and you wives can understand this longing to hold a child. And yet, year after year, it's unfulfilled. I think that this lady has got, gotten to the point in her life where she had just swallowed the bitter pill of reality. And she said, don't take me down. That, don't, don't even do this to me. There's not going to be a baby shower. I'm not going to get to decorate a nursery. There's not going to be any cute onesies. But here's something that I learned from this lady about this stage in her story. Think about this. Even though God had not fulfilled her deepest longing to be a mother, she decided to serve Him anyway. Did it ever occur to you? It, the thought that came to me as I was studying this week, maybe the room that they built for Elisha was a room that was intended to be a nursery. That's where the crib was supposed to go. That's where they were going to raise a little one. But instead of becoming bitter, notice something about this woman. I think that once she saw the man of God, she changed her plans. And friend, that is faith. Faith is when you can still bless God even though you don't see the blessing of God in your life. When you can say as Job, yet even though he slay me, I will serve him. Reminded of a, a story that comes to us from the difficult days of World War II. There's a young Jewish girl in a Warsaw ghetto in Poland who managed to escape over a wall and this girl hid in a cave. Well, tragically, this young girl, she died there before the allies could break through into that area and liberate the people. But before this girl died, notice what she scratched on a wall of that cave. She said this, I believe in the sun even when it's not shining. I believe in love even when I cannot feel it. I believe in God even when He is silent. God is there when you can't see Him working. God is there, and He heard your prayer, even though it's not being answered. God is there, working, when you can't see it and you don't feel it. And friend, one of the greatest ways that God develops faith in our lives is through something called delay. Making you wait for His timing. When God doesn't come through on our timetable, we either go ahead of God or we make the decision, I might as well just give up on God because He's done with me. But what this lady learned is something so important. Listen to me, church. God's delays are not God's denials. 
You see, God is working while we're waiting, and oftentimes He's working on us. He's working on the circumstances to get everything in place so that when it time comes, everything falls right where it needs to be. Notice what happened in verse 17. Nine months later down the road, but the woman conceived and she bore a son about that time the following spring as Elijah had said to her. Faith in God when our desires are unfulfilled. I wonder as she cradled that child in her hand, maybe her thought went to the psalmist who said, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. You see, friend, listen to me. When God makes us wait, it only magnifies the miracle when He does come through on the other side. I was thinking this week about that word wait. W-A-I-T. We do a lot of that in our lives. And I asked the Lord, what what can we learn or what can we do when you ask us to wait? And so I took that word, W-A-I-T. And here's what I believe the Lord told me. What you can do when God asks you to wait. W, first you can work. You can work for the Lord in the meantime while He's working out the things that you can't. You still serve God. You can A, you can act. In other words, you can act on what you know. You can be obedient in the things that you know God has clearly revealed for you to do. I, you can invite, you can Ask God to work in your heart. And then T, you can trust. You can ask God to build faith in your life that you will trust that His timing is best. So we see faith in God when our desires are unfulfilled. Then secondly, I also want you to notice today, faith in God when death is unexpected. Faith in God when death is unexpected. Now we... Start the second act in this lady's story. We wish that it would have ended there, but there's a dark chapter concerning that miracle child that God had gave her because that child is ripped away from her by the icy hand of death. Look at what verse 18 says. And when the child had grown, he went out one day to his father among the reapers. And he said to his father, Oh, my head, my head. And the father said to his servant, Carry him to his mother. And when he had lifted him and brought him into his mother, the child sat on her lap till noon, but then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. And then she called to her husband and said, Send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may quickly go to the man of God and come back again. And he said, why will you go with him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, all is well. Is she telling the truth there? And then she saddled the donkey and she said to her servant, urge the animal on and do not slacken the pace for me unless I tell you. And so she set out and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. Notice here, This woman's composure. I do not understand where this lady found the gumption to carry the body of her dead son up to Elisha's room and then pretend to her husband that everything was okay. You ever do that in your life? Your life is a wreck. Inside you're all tore up. You're an emotional mess and you come to church and when somebody asks you how you're doing, you put on a religious smile and you say, I'm doing okay, brother. When really inside you're all tore up. 
We can pretend in our lives that everything's okay when really we're a mess. But maybe there's also a, a, a hint of faith and hope in her words. Because she said, everything is well. <laughs> God's got this. She wasn't ready to let go, was she? She wasn't about to plan a funeral that day. You see, she is not going to concede defeat until she gets the final word from the man of God. After all, it was God who gave her this miracle child in the first place. If He brought life to her barren womb, then maybe He could do it again and bring back this son from the dead. Friend, you need to remember that in your dark time of life. When you feel like giving up, when all hope is gone, when your friends are telling you it's crazy to believe in God. Friend, it ain't over till God says it's over. And the only way you get to experience a resurrection is you have to go through the pain of death. But praise God, I know a Savior today who specializes in raising dead things, a dead marriage, a dead church, a dead soul. It doesn't matter how dead it is. He can pronounce a word and bring it back to life again. Well, you see, friend, when God lets something die in your life, when a dream dies, when God lets something that you've hoped for and longed for dies, it's only so you'll begin to trust Him in a new way. So you will expand your faith and trust in Him like you've never had to before. And so she headed out. She said, all is well. I know how to get a hold of the man of God. By the way, just because you're a Christian and just because you serve God doesn't mean you get a free pass in life. Christians bury loved ones too. Christians get cancer. Hey, Christians run into debt. Christians get divorces. Christians go through all kinds of problems. Don't you ever let a preacher lie to you and tell you it's all about health and wealth and prosperity. That's not life. That's not the Jesus that I see in the Bible. That's not the God of the Bible. You won't learn anything about God till you've been through the dark of the night. Do you know somebody who went through a tragedy much like this woman? Stephen Curtis Chapman. In 2008, the Chapman family was rocked to the core when one of Stephen's sons accidentally ran over his five-year-old daughter in the driveway of their house. Tried to revive her with CPR, but when her tiny body arrived in Franklin, Tennessee, the hospital, she was already dead. As you can imagine, her passing was an emotional earthquake. And in the immediacy of that, Chapman doubted whether he could ever write another song again. How could he ever get up on stage and sing about the goodness of God when he's seen that baby die in his hands? But you know what? God can bring things back from the dead. Even your soul, when you've wanted to give up. Chapman began to return his songwriting. One day he sat down and he started scribbling some words. And the song that came out of that experience was a song called Glorious Unfolding. Part of that song, listen to what it says. He says, it feels like the end has started closing in on you. 
But it's not true. There's so much of the story that still has yet to unfold. And this is going to be a glorious unfolding. Just you wait and see. You'll be amazed. You've got to just believe the story is far from over. So hold on to every promise God has made to us. And watch the glorious unfolding. If you haven't listened to that song, you need to. That's exactly what this mother did. She didn't give up on God because of one dark scene in her life. Even though it was soul crushing, even though it was sudden and it came out of nowhere, she kept believing that God was not done in her story and in her situation. How many of you know God is full of surprises? Now look at what happened here. Notice how the man of God comes on the scene. Verse 32. And when Elisha came into the house, he saw the child lying on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth and his eyes on his eyes and his hands on his hands. And he stretched himself out upon him. The flesh of the child then became warm. And then he got up again and walked once back and forth into the house and went up and he stretched himself on him. Watch this. And the child sneezed seven times. And the child opened his eyes. And then he summoned Gehazi and said, Call this Shumamite. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, Pick up your son. And she came and fell at his feet, bowing to the ground. Then she picked up her son and went out. Glory to God. Now, if you read that story and you think, wow, preacher, that sounds like deja vu. That's good because it means you've been studying your Bible. This exact scene happened a few years earlier, 1 Kings chapter 17. Elisha watched his teacher Elijah do the very same miracle of resurrection in the same way and in the same manner. But notice here how Elisha does this. He stretched himself out over the child. There's some liberal commentators who don't believe that my God can do this kind of thing who say foolish things like, well, he was doing mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. No! This wasn't CPR. The man of God stretching himself over this child. You know, there's some things in your life, that's the only way you can get answers from God is you've got to spread yourself out over the situation and pray like you never prayed before. And it gets hopeless and it gets drastic and you learn to pray earnest, agonizing, exhausting prayer. God, if you don't come through in this, Lord, we need you now. There's some problems in life that require that kind of prayer. You can't just say, bless God and amen and it's over with. Read a five minute devotional. Not when what has hit you is so much bigger than you. But notice what happens here. (laughs) The boy sneezed seven times, the Bible says. Isn't that weird? You ever read stuff in the Bible and it strikes you? Wow, that's strange. Now according to my study, this is the only time that I know of in the Scripture where the Bible mentions a sneeze. Now the Bible says that he didn't just sneeze once, but he sneezed seven times. How peculiar. I've taken a sneezing fit before and sneezed three or four times, but never seven times. Maybe the man of God was counting. 
Why seven? Well, you know the number seven is significant in the Bible, don't you? That's God's number of completion and perfection. And so when this child sneezed, not once, twice, but seven times, it was evidence of the miraculous work of God being done in that little room. And so the Lord has now done two incredible miracles for this mama. First off, there was life out of a barren womb, and now there's life again through a resurrection of her son. By the way, the faith of this woman, I believe, is referenced in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 35, where we read in that passage, where by faith women receive back their dead by resurrection. Now, do not miss the amazing parallel to the gospel. We need to go straight to Jesus always when we study the Old Testament because there's a lesson and there's a blessing for us. Notice this boy pictures Christ in two ways. First off, there was a supernatural birth. Hey, come on. And then there was a supernatural resurrection. Does that sound like somebody you know? Virgin born in the grave for three days and then he came out. The disciples who followed Jesus, though, you know, they went through a similar emotional roller coaster that this woman went through. Jesus was the promised one. He was the one who was going to set His people free. The one that they'd hoped and longed for. The one that the Scriptures had foretold. And yet there was death on a cross. It seemingly ended all of that, especially when they wrapped Him up in put him in that tomb and rolled the big stone in front. But friend, something happened on Sunday morning, even before the sun rose, praise God, something started stirring there in that tomb. Life came back to the cold corpse of Jesus. His spirit entered and returned in that body. And friend, death was arrested. Satan was defeated. And the stone was rolled away so that my king could walk out in victory. And yet, <laughs> Jesus told them the same thing that this mother told her husband. Everything's going to be okay. Uh, it's going to get dark. I'm going to be crucified, handed over to the Gentiles. But that's not the end of the story. I'm going to rise again. You see, friend, you have to keep on living and keep on believing that God is going to end your story in a way that you can't see. Oh, Brother Stacy, he sings that song. He had to rise to show that he was holy. He had to rise to finish the story, to pardon iniquity. He had to die to bring me the victory. He had to rise. That's my God. That's my Savior. By the way, I don't sing it any near as good as Stacy does. But I get a little bit fired up, and that's okay, amen? Notice that number seven, though. Seven sneezes. You know what that was? A sign of life. <laughs> that life had returned to the body. And yet it's interesting that God will oftentimes start a pattern in the Old Testament and then He'll revisit it and fulfill it in the New Testament through Jesus. And when you go to Easter morning, friend, there was some strange things going on that day. There were seven signs of life that day. 
What, what are you talking about? Seven signs of life on Easter morning. The fulfilled prophecies. The soldiers report. The stone that was rolled away. The angels who appeared there. The shroud that was folded and neatly placed away. The early sightings by Mary and others. And then the scars that they got to touch finally. Seven signs of life that God wasn't done yet. Faith in God when your desires are unfulfilled. Faith in God when death comes unexpectedly. And then I'm finishing with this. Number three, faith in God when our deliverance is uncertain. You'd think, gosh, how could her story get any more amazing? And we'd like to put a period right there. But God wasn't done yet with this little Shunammite woman. As awesome as that resurrection was, there's more. Now, if you've gone through this text, has it piqued your curiosity yet? Why did the Lord put this woman through so much? A barrenness, and then an unexpected miraculous pregnancy, and then a son, and then the death of the son, and then a resurrection? Ever sound like your life? God, why are you doing this to me? <laughs> why are you letting these things happen to me? Why the infertility? Why the death? Why the resurrection? What is God doing in all of this? Well, to get the rest of the story, you've got to fast forward to chapter 8. And here you see this little Shunammite woman appears again. And when you see it this time, the story comes together. Verse 1. Now Elisha said to this woman, whose son he had restored to life, Arise and depart with your household and sojourn wherever you can. For the Lord has called for a famine, and so it will come upon the land for seven years. There's that number again. So the woman arose and did according to the word of the man of God, and she went with her household and sojourned in the land of the Philistines seven years. Now notice this. Elijah has an advanced warning from the Lord that a famine is going to strike the land. And so he says to this little mama, he says, leave your son. Go where you can. It's going to get bad here. After the famine's over, then you can return. Seven years goes by. And when this mother comes home, she finds out that her home and her property has been seized. Verse 3, it says, And at the end of seven years, when the woman returned from the land of the Philistines, she went to appeal to the king for her house and her land. We aren't told exactly what happened in the background there, but the long and the short of it is that she has no home anymore. And so she decides, well, I'm going to go to the king. And I'm going to see what can be done about this situation. And so the king at this time is a man named Jehoram. But what she doesn't realize is that she is walking into a divine appointment. God's providence is about to meet her problem with His provision. And now we're going to see all of the ups and downs, all of the suffering, all of the brokenness, all of this is going to collide here in one amazing scene. So here's the deal. As she comes in there, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, is there talking to the king. And the king asks Gehazi, Hey, you've been running around with Elisha, haven't you? Yes. 
Well, what's it been like? Tell me some of the stories. Tell me about some of the miracles that he has done. And so as Gehazi is telling the king about how Elisha raised a woman's son from the dead, guess who comes walking into the court of the king? Verse 4, now as the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, tell me all the great things that Elijah has done. And while he was telling the king how Elisha restored the dead to life, behold, a woman whose son he had restored to life appealed to the king for her house and her land. And Gehazi said, my king, O Lord, here is the woman and here is her son whom Elisha has raised. To life. She brought the boy with him into the court of the king and said, Oh, there he is. There's positive that God raises dead things. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, and watch this. So the king appointed an official for her, saying, Restore all that was hers together with all of the produce from the fields. And from that day, she has not left the land until now. Praise God. That is unbelievable. When Jehoram the king finds out that she's standing right there in his throne room, he says, give her back the land and make sure she's got plenty to eat. Take care of her. And now, standing there in the king's throne room, she finally realizes why God sent her on the pathway that He did. Why He allowed the brokenness. Why He allowed the suffering and the death. Why He did what He did in her life. Because God let her son be raised from the dead again so that His providence would catch up with her seven years down the road and provide for her. He turned her brokenness into a blessing that day. You see, friend, don't miss this. In the end, it was the barrenness of her womb. It was the brokenness of losing her son that became the very means by which God was showing her His power and His presence and His provision. And now with seven years of hindsight standing there in front of the king, it all comes together. I realize, Lord... Why you took my child. I realize, Lord, why you brought the man of God my way. I realize, Lord, why you raised him and why you sent me away and why you brought me back because you wanted to provide for me again and again and again. Here's what I want you to see. That's the takeaway. Don't give up on God when your desires are unfulfilled. When death comes unexpectedly. When your deliverance is uncertain. Because listen to me. Those are just individual scenes out of your life. And you can't see the whole story of how God has written that into your life. Just as you can't judge a book by taking one chapter out and reading it. Friend, you can't base... Uh, your faith on one dark chapter in your story. That's just part of it. You keep living. You keep trusting. You keep believing. Because God says, I'm going to take your brokenness and I'm going to use it in a way you can't see and don't understand. And it's going to be the greatest blessing you've ever seen in your life, friend. He takes the good and the bad and the sickness and the death, the ups and the downs, the triumphs and the trials. And the Bible says He's inscribed Romans 8.28 over your life and says everything, all things work together for good 
Only God can take bad and turn it into good. He took all of this stuff from her past and it came back and caught up with her seven years later right when she needed God's deliverance. Oh, friend. He writes in handwriting that's too big for us to see. Notice this. Poet John Oxenheim. He said he writes in letters too grand for our short sight to understand when we catch but broken strokes and try to fathom all the mystery of withered hopes of death of life, the endless war, the useless strife. But there with larger, clearer sight we shall see this. His way was right. And when you get some hindsight and you look back on it, you say, Lord, I didn't understand why you sent me down that path, but I sure am glad that you did because now I've got something more precious. I wouldn't trade it for a million dollars. I've got a testimony to tell of how my God met my need when everything was dark, when it was hopeless, and there was no sight of salvation. My God came through. And friend, He'll send you through the test to give you the testimony. So you've got to hang on. When your desire is unfulfilled, when death is unexpected, and when deliverance is uncertain. Because he's weaving a big old tapestry together. <laughs> Remember our friends, the Dillards? God did something amazing in their life. Let me finish with this. A few years later, after the Dillards had lost that baby, their situation went from bad to worse. In 2001, Melody discovered a lump in her breast. Turned out to be malignant. And surgery was scheduled immediately. After the surgery, the doctor came in and delivered more jarring news. Not only did she have breast cancer, she'd have to undergo weeks of treatment, but somehow they'd overlooked something important in her blood work, and she was pregnant. Melody's first reaction was confusion. God, if you knew I had cancer, why would you allow me to get pregnant? She endured a mastectomy and localized radiation. But she still decided to trust the Lord. She feared that because of the cancer, that her baby might be defective or be stillborn. But on 2001, September the 20th, Melody gave birth to a healthy little girl. It's not the end of the story, though. She said in her testimony, here's the real shocker. The doctors told me that had I gotten pregnant before I was diagnosed with cancer, then they probably would not have found the tumor. It was clear then, she says, but it wasn't then. How God orchestrated all these events. God takes our hurt, our pain, our sin and turns it into something beautiful that we could never imagine. I don't know what you've come to church with today, but this God is able. And this Jesus can change your life in a moment. We want to have a time of invitation. I don't know what the need is in your heart and your life, but you have an opportunity now to respond to this message. You can come to Jesus as you are broken and burdened with no hope or no answers in sight and He will meet your need. 
It begins by professing Him as Lord and Savior, confessing your sins and starting a relationship with Him. If you haven't done that, that's the first step. Then you also need to come to Him as you are. So if you have a need in your life today, as we stand and as we sing, you be obedient to the Spirit's moving. And I'd love to pray with you.